You're listening to. Welcome back to another episode of Books and Bobo, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Ray Yu. And we are here for your mid-month check-in for August 2019. Um, Rira, how are you doing? I'm How's doing your good. summer been? Um, it's been pretty good so far. I had a friend from San Francisco come down so we could go see the BTS exhibition together. So that was <laughs> that was real fun. Uh, we went with our K-pop squad and a lot of us have known each other online for like 14 years. So. How was that? Because, okay, so this BTS exhibition is like, it's a bunch of art installations based on the band or is it like a history um, type of thing? It, it's kind of a mix of everything. So they have a lot of the photos that are in the exhibition itself. They were taken by the members and it encompasses their entire career. So everything from like their first year, their debut year to um, all of the awards that they've won recently. <laughs> um, they have like props from the music videos. They have... Um, they have like videos where like the members are just talking about uh, their career and um, just like how far they've come. So it's it's like a culmination of a lot of things. And it was really interesting to go to because my friends actually went to the Seoul exhibition and it's very, very different because they have more space to work with. So the Reef, which is where uh, the exhibition was held, which is your office. Also where I work my day job. Yeah. So I've been curious about this exhibition because I kind of expected the entire office to be overrun by like BTS fans because they're huge. But it has actually hasn't been that crazy downstairs. I think it's because it was organized really well because uh, it's like a week, like it's like a two week long exhibition. So mm -hmm. there's plenty of time to go. And when you buy your tickets, you're buying for a specific time during a specific day. So there's like maybe like 50 people in your time slot. Okay. So it's kind of like the uh, the Broad Museum. Yeah. Yeah. LA. It's very similar. <laughs> so well, that was my summer so far. How about you, Marvin? Um. It's just um, being hot, being really hot in L.A. Um, we've been really busy with, so I, my day job is with collaboration. We have a couple of shows coming up, so I've been really busy producing that. If you're in L.A., um, there's a L.A. talent showcase coming up Thursday, August 29th at East West Players in Little Tokyo. It's our you know flagship program where we um, discover up and coming Asian American musicians and they come and they play for us. And um, it's a lot of fun. So if you're in town, come check it out. Um, CollabLA.org is the website. Um, but other than that, nothing much. It's just been trying to read because there's like there's our book, our August 2019 book club pick, Severance by Ling Ma, uh, which I haven't started yet because I've been reading two other books and trying to get through those. Um, I'm still working my way through The True Queen by Zen Cho and Jade War by Fonda Lee. So uh, it would be nice to have all of those authors on an episode one day. But time zones. Oh, man, <laughs> it's it's hard to coordinate like. LA time with London time and like East Coast time all that's true yeah it, it's really difficult but, but it's, it's really cool that these authors that we've read before and that we love all have like follow-up books now and are becoming established in the science fiction fantasy world which is a genre that I already like to read and to see people that I know that we know gain a lot of traction is really really cool 
Yeah, it's it's cool that there's like more Asian inspired fantasies in sci-fi. Yeah. It's not just like one person anymore. It's like an actual <laughs> subgenre within a genre. Yeah. So other than that, just been um trying to stay cool as much as possible. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I saw your Instagram post uh recently, Marvin. Uh pumpkin spice latte season is upon us. Okay, so <laughs> it's <laughs> it's how you know the seasons are changing here in LA because we don't really get seasons. You know, once pumpkin spice starts popping up, you know it's fall. And once Christmas starts popping up, you also know it's fall because Christmas has managed to creep all the way past its, you know, designated time frame. Because um, we just actually got the trailer for last Christmas, um, the Paul Fig Netflix um, Christmas movie starring Henry Golding and Emilia Clark. And Asian American representation has um, found a way to betray me and force me to listen to Christmas music in August. So I don't know how I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. I mean, you hate christmas music i don't hate it i just you know there's a time and place for it and it's november december after thanksgiving obviously (laughs) all right we're gonna move on to book deals our first book deal in our bunch of news is scholastic bought jasmine toguchi author debbie michiko florence's middle grade debut keep it together keiko carter uh billed as to all the boys i love before for tweens Keiko navigates hope and heartache as she chooses between saving a splintering friendship and going after her first real crush. Publication is scheduled for summer 2020. That sounds interesting. <laughs> it's always, um, how young is too young to start talking about love, right? Never, never. <laughs> I mean, there's no such thing as too young when it comes to love. Women. Mm, I don't know. Um, but yeah, congratulations. That's actually, that's, that just broke this week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So congratulations on that book deal. Uh, next up, Blink acquired June C.L. Tan's debut novel, Jade Fire Gold. Inspired by Chinese mythology, the story follows a peasant girl cursed with the power to steal souls. In order to save her grandmother from a cult of dangerous priests, the girl enters a tenuous alliance with an exiled prince bent on taking back the dragon throne. Publication is slated for fall 2020. You know, you know what this reminds me of? Avatar The Last Airbender, a series that Marvin has still not watched, by the way. It's really long. And I will give you an abridged like episode list and you can just like <laughs> go through them because there are some filler episodes that you don't necessarily have to watch. But uh, I mean, ex- I- Exiled Prince planning on taking back the dragon throne. That is like 100% Zuko. And I am all for it. I know Zuko because that is Dante Bosco's character. You should really, really watch the show. You know what? I actually read through the wiki, so I know no, the story. No, no, it doesn't. It does not count, especially when FCE like released a book on Avatar Kyoshi and like got into the New York Times bestsellers list. So you are obligated as a co-host of Books and Boba to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender. These are all, you know, you know. If um if <laughs> if we ever start a Patreon or a Kickstarter, it will be one of the bonus tiers. Because that's the only way you'll get me to read you're these gonna, things you're is if people it? pay me for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, next up is Jillian Tamaki's picture book, Our Little Kitchen, was picked up by Abrams. Uh, the book follows a lively evening in a community kitchen with a band of resourceful neighbors. From backyard garden harvesting to cooking chaos and to tummies getting filled at dinner. Publication is slated for fall 2020. I really hope there is a bunch of Asian snacks in this picture book. Asian snacks? I yeah. mean, from a garden? Yeah. Like, you know. Like what? Like Asian pears or like, you know, you know how there's a difference between Asian eggplants and like non-Asian eggplants, you know? 
No. And like veggies? No. I'm just saying, as, as, as an Asian American picture book author, I hope they include some of the classic Asian veggies. I'm, I'm just going back to um, an Asian grocery store because an H Mart opened in Arcadia <laughs> and I finally can shop for like Korean food ingredients. Yeah. H Mart's great. They also have a food court. But you can tell that it's like not a true H Mart because there's not enough like Korean ingredients over there. Really? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like more pan Asian. And I guess that's a good thing because like people around Arcadia, it's not just like korean or taiwanese people so it's like there's a lot more koreans though. i feel like they've been opening more like korean barbecue places there's like a sunondong like uh, the korean stew place um there's multiple tofu houses now um as long as this h mart still has i still haven't been to this h mart the one that opened on huntington right oh yeah yeah um so do they have the um the kimchi bar like where you can like, yeah yeah they have yeah. they okay. have that yeah i was just disappointed because like their rice cake shop doesn't really have much variety and oh. that's like my go-to snack <laughs> so if, if you don't have like a fully stocked rice cake shop it's not korean it's not oh. korean enough for me <laughs> uh next up charles bridge bought world rights to natasha yim's picture book luna's yum yum dim sum in which three siblings can't agree on how to divide their pork buns equally Violet Kim will be illustrating, and the publication is scheduled for fall 2020. Hmm. That's interesting because any connoisseur of dim sum would know that pork buns come in groups of three. So obviously, just one each, right? I I never pay attention. It's like you put food in front of me, and I'm like, I'm just going to eat all of it. Now, unless they come with both their parents, because then there's that's five. That's true. You, you have to have you proper etiquette. You know, right. always leave the last piece for the eldest member. That's true. Um, or just keep cutting it in half until there's a little piece left. We should we should go to dim sum together sometime, Marvin. You need we to should. like show me all like the the secret places because <laughs> I'm sure really... I'm sure you know the secret places that like the white people don't know. It's not really secret places. It's just like you got to get out where you live, which is where the white people are, into where I live, where the Asian people are, and everything yeah. is good. Teach there... me your ways. Yeah, we'll we'll set it up. We'll we'll do a books and boba dim sum. <laughs> A dim sum book or club. something. <laughs> yeah, that's where we'll discuss our next book. Um, Instead of the Joy Luck Club, it's yeah, the Dim Sum Club. Obviously. Um, next up, Holiday House bought RM Kim's Let's Go Taekwondo, a story about persistence, bravery, and breaking boards. It's a picture book about being afraid, but ultimately passing the yellow belt test. Publication is scheduled for spring 2020. Did you do martial arts growing up? I did. Um, so when I went to Chinese school, I went to Chinese school... Every Saturday from like grade three till high school. And one of our electives was Wushu. So I did that for a couple of years on Saturdays only. So I, I I don't think we learned anything particularly complex, but we learned a bunch of like, you know, sequences and stuff. Did you, uh, were you a Taekwondo person? Uh, I took it for one week and that's because I was forced to go to a summer camp in Korea it's one of those cultural trips. If you've seen the movie Soul Searching, that's pretty much what I went on. Uh, I think I was like the last batch of Korean Americans to go on trips like that. Um, you you go. You, it's like a month long trip in Korea where they kind of take you to historical sites and you do you do activities where you're supposed to learn about your heritage and culture. Yeah, we had one of those in Taiwan called Love Boat, or it was colloquially called Love Boat. I think the actual name was like Taiwanese culture. 
learning education tour or something. But, but it was like a camp where everybody banged. And that's why it was called the Love Boat. I don't know if they banged. They, oh, some, okay. they hooked up. They snuck out and like clubbed and stuff. I'm sure there was some main going on. I don't know. I'm sure. I, don't I didn't know. go to it. I, I have friends who go to it and they had a great time apparently. Um, was there a lot of shenanigans at the Korean one? Um, I, I left after like the second week because before I actually went to Korea, I was really, really sick. Uh, but my parents were like, we paid for you to go to the summer camp. So you're <laughs> going to fly on like this 14 hour trip to go. Oh. And I went and I think halfway through the first week, I was like, I'm dying. And the Taekwondo teacher was like, I don't care. You have to show up. Like, every day at 6 a.m., you have to do exercises. And I'm like, what is with Koreans and nature? We just (laughs) love... (laughs) We love waking up at, like, sunrise and going hiking. And I'm like, I don't understand... Like, is that a thing in Korea too? Because I yes, I, yeah. yes. Like families go up mountains before the sun rises, so they can like they can be one with nature. And oh. I hate it so much. <laughs> anyway, I almost died, and they were like, "Well, she needs to like leave this camp." So after like a week and a half, wait, uh, what kind of sickness was? Was it like a stomach thing, or was it like just like a full like? Um, it seemed like a flu, but it lasted like almost a month. Oh. So I, I don't know what it was, but uh, the camp did not want to be liable for, for me. Oh, so, so so my grandparents picked me up and that was the end of the trip for me. Well, did you, were you able to spend the rest of the time in Korea or did they fly you back? Oh, no, I stayed in Korea for three months. I stayed for the entire summer. Okay. So, so you just had fun with your grandparents, I guess. I, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, the best way to learn about culture is, you know, hanging out with old people. Hey. They give you money to buy things. It's awesome. That is true. Uh, <laughs> next up, William Morrow won World English Rights to Suzanne Park's rom-com novel, Loathe at First Sight. I get it. Set in the video game industry, the book is about a Korean-American producer who is tasked with launching a feminist video game while being antagonized by everyone around her, especially the company's new MBA intern. Um, publication is scheduled for June 23rd, 2020. And uh, Park's YA novel, The The Perfect Escape, was also picked up by Source Books. The story follows a Korean-American teen who meets his dream girl at the zombie-themed escape room where they both work. When they realize they each have a critical need for money, they team up for a survivalist competition with a huge cash prize, finding love along the way. Publication for The Perfect Escape is April 7th, 2020. I feel like Suzanne Park is like someone that i know because i know people who both like work in video games and also love escape rooms and those are people i feel like is our age you know it's kind of weird sometimes when you you realize people our age are published authors until you realize yeah we're at least i am old i mean you're not as old i'm i'm almost 30 and i'm still like (laughs) astonished that there are authors who are younger than me like Rebecca Kwan. Okay. Rebecca <laughs> Who's like, Kwan. I'm just like, wow, people are exceptional these days. Rebecca Kwan, the author of The Poppy War and the Dragon Republic, is, I think, a special case because she, like. Well, there are a lot yeah. of special cases in publishing because there are a lot of young authors out there. But then we also get to the Toni Morrisons that we'll talk about later who started their publishing career or their, their writing career at 40. at 40. So, you know. Writing is the great equalizer, right? So let's not let's not get ourselves <laughs> down too much. Oh man, I'm so depressed now. Oh, I feel so inadequate. <laughs> but um, I feel like these are both like these are both stories that millennials and maybe some Gen Z can can relate to on a more personal level because these are things that we care about, right? We, like the whole 
escape room and that whole um, world is something that I know a lot of my friends are really into. But especially the um, the book Loathe at First Sight, which is about uh, women in the video game industry, which is like super tech broy and also like very very like notorious for crunch culture, right? Where crunch they culture. just kind of grind out work and just kind of fire their workers after uh, the game is launched. And also like the gender gap in in tech is also a huge thing that people have been. That there are current topics that you know it's it'll be great for more people to understand not only the nuances of but also the perspective from a from a women's perspective about that world. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, if you're more if you're interested in learning more about like the video game industry, Hassan Minaj uh, did an episode on the Patriot Act, so mm-hmm. uh, I would really recommend watching that. It's a great episode, yeah. and. Uh, I love escape rooms. I don't know if you ever went to one. I've never done Martin. one. I, I imagine I'd be okay at it because, like, I'm used to playing like puzzle games and adventure games, so I know I, I I get the gist of what you're supposed to do. I don't know if I could handle one of the horror themes one. No, themes I, one, I can't so. do the horror themes one, but uh, it doesn't really matter if you're good at puzzles because you have to work with other people. Oh. Never mind. You have that. to work That's with other worst. people and you also have a time limit. So it's like <laughs> So there's that. I remember I went to I went to one recently where they handcuffed you to the chair. Oh. And like you had to like that that was like the beginning obstacle and you had to find the key and uh you have to like pass the key down somehow and it was it was just like I I thought I was just going to solve puzzles. What is like, why am I being handcuffed to a chair? So I had like a moment of panic. But um, if you're really into, I don't know, like real life, like like problem solving, if you're good with pressure, it's it's a good way to blow steam, I guess. The thing with working with strangers that I'd be worried about is what if you're with someone who can't handle pressure? Then they're. Just tell them to just sit in the corner until <laughs> until the until the puzzles are solved. Uh, it's one of those team projects where you have to carry the team. Got it. Hard carry. <laughs> um, next up, Kendall Wick acquired Hope Lim's picture book, Mommy's Hometown, illustrated by Jamie Kim. The book is about a young boy's visit to his mother's hometown and how his initial disappointment transforms into delight as he relives her childhood tales. Publication is set for fall 2022. Uh, next up, Kokola bought world rights to Shelley Anand's debut picture book, Lakshmi's Mooch. The book follows an Indian-American girl who gets teased at school for having a mustache, but then embarks on a personal journey towards accepting herself and her heritage, and eventually celebrates her mooch in all its glory. Uh, Nabi H. Ali will be illustrating the book, and publication is set for spring 2021. That sounds sweet. It sounds like something that, especially as, you know, our country is becoming more and more diverse. It's good to, you know, have books, especially for young kids, to celebrate everyone's differences and show that it's not a bad thing. I feel like this this is a book that elementary school teachers should, you know, read to their class and have them discuss, you know? Yeah. And it teaches kids at a young age to not body shame people. Mm. Yeah. Because especially with girls, like, I feel like hair is something that is kind of like tied to beauty standards and also like body shaming because mm. like you can have like long beautiful hair on your head but if you have like peach fuzz that's a little bit dark then people make fun of you for it and yeah. it's like and it's just like really weird and girls are pressured to like shave their legs at like a really young age because of yeah all that. It's- and kids are kids kids can be really mean and so like equipping them with the language to deal with that as well like if you're on either side or if you see something happening is it, important because um i think that's 
actually, that actually might be empowering for kids to actually have the have the you know the perspective and the language to confront that, that type of bullying too. Yeah. Um, so next up, Soho Teen acquired Marie Myung Ok Lee's Finding My Voice, originally published by Houghton Mifflin in 1992. It was widely considered to be the first contemporary YA novel written by an Asian American author and featuring an Asian American protagonist. The story centers on 17-year-old Ellen Sung as she navigates senior year full of adolescent anxieties, family expectations, first romance, and the trauma of racism. Publication is planned for spring 2021. Dang, 1992. That is like yeah, that's, really, really early. That's like pre Jola Club, the movie. Like, yeah. I think that's about when when uh, Margaret Cho had her show, right? Or even before. That was. Like, I'm, I'm not sure. That, I, I was not allowed to watch television until I was like 14. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We always talk about how we wish the current like wave of, you know, representation happened when we were younger. And this is kind of. A sad reminder that it, it kind of did, but we kind of missed it because the industry didn't pick it up. And, you know, we missed out on, missed out on some good representation. So I'm glad to see it getting republished. And hopefully, I don't know, when, when it comes out, we can probably hopefully chat with the author. and Yeah, yeah. I'm really interested in, yeah. in knowing her thoughts on, like, the publishing landscapes and how it has changed yeah. from, like, 92 <laughs> to now. Um, I mean, having Asian American protagonists seems like a huge deal for a book published back then you know yeah yeah and also you have to like consider that um back then like asian america was different because i think it was like a lot of like first wave uh immigrants and then and then like now it's like oh there's like fourth generation korean americans now (laughs) or even us in the media like i feel like in 1992 we were content with being the sidekick right there's one of us in this team that's great that is progress and to have someone who's like front and center, it would have been cool to see more of. Yeah. Well, I wish I had this book when I was growing up, but also 92, I was like a baby. So uh, I, I, was I would not already. have been able to <laughs> read it. Uh, our last book deal in our news is Sterling bought Victoria Chang's middle grade novel in verse about a Chinese American girl growing up in Michigan who is both bullied in school and also trying to solve the mystery of why her sister's hair is falling out. Publication is set for spring 2020. Mm. So does the sister have cancer? Is that like what? Might be alopecia. That's true. Or might be something more mystical or scientific or something more like sci-fi maybe. But novel in verse, interesting. Um, I haven't really seen that many novels in verse. What's a novel in verse? Novel in verse is almost like, uh, it's almost like poetry. Okay. Oh, novel in verse. In verse. I got it. I understand now. <laughs> I was thinking, is it backwards? Are you reading it from right to left? What you're, is you're going on? You're overthinking it. Oh, man. Well. That'll do it for book deals. And we're going to yeah. move on to publishing news. Yeah, we have a couple um, a couple of big stories that came out this past month. Um, chief of which is, um, it's not necessarily Asian American news, but it's important news for the world of you know diverse books in general, um, which is that celebrated author Toni Morrison passed away at 88. And Toni Morrison has been just like a pillar in not just like black literature, but also just like in um, in publishing overall. I think she is one of the most prolific writers in in publishing and like we said earlier she started writing when she was like 40 years old <laughs> yeah and she's she's um she's known for writing stories about the black community from the black perspective which when she started doing that was kind of a revolutionary thing 
right? To like to center the perspective on, um, on on the black character as opposed to having like a surrogate character kind of bring you into the world. And she was she was um, from all the um, from all the you know touching tributes that I've seen and all the pieces that have been written about her. They all make note of the fact that she was always unapologetic in her the way she wrote and the way she portrayed her characters. And she didn't really like <laughs> there was all these all these videos of her kind of shooting down the notion that she had to make her work more approachable to yeah, white audiences, like have right? to cater to the white audience. Yeah. yeah, she was very unapologetic about that. And also, like, she's inspired a lot of Asian-American writers. Um, If you look through Twitter on the day that she passed, um, a lot of Asian-American authors that we know um, paid great respect to her writing, saying that uh, her novels has has inspired them to be brave about their heritage and to be unapologetic about being Asian and not not like bending down to <laughs> to publishers in in order to like cater to a white audience. I think yeah. one of her most prolific books is The Bluest Eyes. And I know that book in particular has inspired a lot of diverse authors. So it it was a really really it's it's a tragedy <laughs> um but you know uh, her work will live on and we'll see uh new generations uh who are inspired by her work and yeah. also continue to kind of write their own stories instead of bending to <laughs> to the white audience. I mean, her legacy is is alive and well in, in all the diverse books that we've seen. And it's another example of how the progress that we made in diversity follows the templates that have been laid down by the African-American community in general. So, you know, it's important to remember that as, as we move forward because, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum. Everything happens because of something that happened before it to pave the way for the success that we're having now. So... I think, yeah, it's, it's important to recognize heroes and influential people like Toni Morrison, who, you know, kind of showed us that this was possible and this there, there was a way to write these stories from our perspectives. Yeah, I think there's a, there's one famous co- quote that I've been seeing around uh, Twitter and I'm and I don't have it on Google. I don't have Google <laughs> on hand right now, but it was something along the lines of if there is a book that you want to read and it doesn't exist, you have to write it. So yeah. I think that is a message that. A lot of writers of color and writers of marginalized groups have have been doing. They've been taking it to heart. So, yeah. And, and speaking of you no know, writing diverse stories, uh, we need diverse books. Turned five years old this month. Uh, it's kind of amazing because I think about when we started this podcast, and it was like in 2016. Yeah. And I'm like, oh wow, we need diverse books. Like I knew that they existed uh, before we did, but they they were around like two years before we started, and. And I think about like how much progress has been made in children's literature. Um, yeah, I feel like it's a lot easier to see um, more diverse picture books that yeah. are that like I feel like we've seen more and more diverse picture books over the last like couple of years. I mean, take a look at our publishing news for this month, and I want to say at least like sixty percent were picture books. Yeah, right? yeah, and like. The work that they've been doing, it's not easy. Like you have to like have, you have to have so many resources available to you. And they've done such a great job like funding scholarships. So for people who want to work in the publishing industry, but don't have the money to live in New York and are kind of from uh, marginalized groups who didn't have like the education to go and get like an English degree, for example, uh, they're given this chance to like go and, uh, 
kind of intern at the publishing industry. They've given resources to aspiring writers. And it's just amazing how much progress has been made. And I feel like a lot of the writers that are coming out now or have come out in the last like two, three years, like they have gotten so much support from We Need Diverse books. Yeah. So they are a very, very <laughs> crucial part of the literature community. And I don't think we would have gotten this far without We Need Diverse books. Either. I mean, you know, we're just highlighting and talking about books that we read. They're like actually going in and like creating structural change. Yeah. So um, we're, just, we're just two people in a studio we, just like talking about books. And we're saying, like, uh, we're not really that influential. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got up her game, Rita. I mean, we just started this podcast because I wanted to have a book club i wanted to be nerdy and have people to talk and to i was like i should read more <laughs> humble beginnings hopefully yeah, more mean, prosperous futures <laughs> because of this book club i've read a bunch of books so it's worked out for me so far that's true <laughs> um other news this month um, netflix is currently adapting sona charipatra netflix is netflix is currently Netflix is currently adapting Sonia Chiopatra and Danielle Clayton's book, Tiny Pretty Things, into a 10-episode series. Pitched as Black Swan meets Pretty Little Liars, the story is set at an elite Manhattan Ballet Academy and the students who will do whatever it takes to make their dreams a reality. The series is set to premiere in 2020. I am so excited for this. I have <laughs> I have not read Tiny Pretty Things, but oh my god, I love ballet. I love, like, I love dance shows. I've I've seen every single episode of Dance Academy, which is an Australian show. So you can tell, like, I am very invested in this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do they do they um, do they highlight the cutthroat nature of that world in that show, or is it more like? Actually, it's it's not like it's not about like backstabbing. Mostly, mm. it's like it's like a four year uh, ballet school, and of course, there's like a little bit of like like drama that happens between like ballerinas, but mm. it's like mostly. Um, it's mostly about growing up, so okay. like that's really nice. Um, I feel like this is that taken to the dramatic. Uh, yeah, this probably, is like right? this is taken to like like <laughs> I like I don't even it it says Black Swan, so you can it, it you can expect it to be like really really cutthroat and kind of creepy, maybe kind of freaky. I mean, I'm into it. Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> I mean, like that's also a creepy show. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping this is me not knowing anything about the story, but because of the people involved, I'm hoping that also involves, you know, inserting a little color into this world. Because as I, as I understand it in like layman's term, the world of ballet is pretty, it's pretty homogenous, white. right? Yeah, it's pretty white. Yeah. I mean, ballet is really expensive. Yeah. yeah, which is why everyone went crazy for um, <sighs> Misty Copeland. Yeah, and just so you know, there are a lot of, uh, I mean, there there can be more, but there are a lot of ballerinas of color mm. it's just it's really hard to become a prima ballerina because there's only like a few spots and it's really i mean i mean with these subjective like artistic fields you're also fighting against years of tradition and ingrain you know like ideas of what a ballerina is supposed to be right yeah which is i guess changing in today's world and you know hopefully this this series might bring some more light into it i don't know yeah, I mean, there are a lot of ballet documentaries out there, and I do recommend Ballet Russe. <laughs> and uh, there is there was a black prima ballerina in that group, okay. and it was like in the very very early stages of mm. American ballet. Wow, I've watched a lot of <laughs> ballet related things. So this is right up your alley. 
God, I have too many interests. I need to cut it down. No somehow. such thing. You should like what you like. We all. I we jumped all from ballet like to, to like figure skating so quickly. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a pretty straight line from ballet to figure skating. I feel like. I know. <laughs> um, so the last piece of news for this week is on the front of "To All the Boys I Loved Before," um, the series by Jenny Han, um, which was turned into a hit Netflix movie last year. Um, the second movie, I guess, just um, they just announced the release date, right? Or they announced yeah, when it, it's coming out? Yeah, it's in February 2020. Which is so far away from now. But, you know, <laughs> got to get that Valentine's Day crowd, you know, Netflix and chill. That's true. But they also announced that they're also in production for the third movie, um, Always and Forever, Lara Jean, uh, which will be, I guess, the the conclusion of the Lara Jean trilogy. I'm, I'm curious as to how they're going to split up the stories because mm. the first movie actually took the beginning like chapters of PS I Love You because uh the first book to all the boys I love before it ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. It ends with um Laura writing a letter to Peter. Right, so it's and right she, before the confession at the yeah, end. Right? So she does not give the letter to Peter until the second book. Well I mean the way that I because again I've read the wikis about these books. I haven't read the actual books, but the second book ends the, be, there's a gap between the second and third books, right? Like an actual like yeah, yeah. There, there's gap, a bit of a right? time jump. They're they're seniors by the third book, right? So I don't know. I mean, I, I they'll probably do the rest of the second book and the second movie and the third book and the third movie. I imagine. I, I don't know if like the third book they're gonna age them up, <laughs> like mm. have them go to college. I mean, or something. I, I feel like Lana Connor can probably still play high school, but I feel like Noah Centinella is getting like yeah, into yeah. his like young adult phase. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it would be nice if they like aged them up a little bit and maybe yeah. like change some things in their adaptation i know that some book fans are gonna be like what are they doing (laughs) like how dare they betray the script but um i don't know i feel like it's interesting when when like film tv writers kind of like adapt a little bit bit, right yeah a little bit (laughs) sort of like crazy rich asians there's a lot of things that were changed i mean i feel like so okay like yeah with to all the boys love before i feel like the movie for the most part did the book justice i feel like for crazy rich asians the movie actually improved upon the book mm-hmm. um and those of you who have listened to our discussion episode know about our our opinions our opinions on the book um but yeah i mean it kind of gives you an excuse to watch it too right to kind of see what, yeah, that's what, what they switch up yeah yeah I, I mean like the the book was more focused on families so it was like family drama mm. and then the movie was more uh more about romance yeah. so I'm curious as to how they're going to adapt it. And, like, you know, the second book is mostly focused on uh, John Ambrose McLaren. Right. Instead of, like, Peter. So it's like, <laughs> oh, how is this going to work? Like, how much screen time is Peter going to have? We're, we got we have to bring you um, and... Um, Alice Kath- and Catherine back. Yeah, to, to talk about it again. That's actually one of our more, our more popular episodes. It's the one where you talk, guys talk about the movie and the book. Apparently, that is, like, a very, like... Like, we've had people... Um, send us comments saying like oh you guys should do more episodes on like comparing the movie to the book mm. so we just have to hunt down what else can we do though i mean uh yang say choose the ghost bride oh yeah yeah because that's, that's like, coming out next yeah, i think yeah. that's coming out next year too yeah we can we can do it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always a never let me go by kazuo ishiguro right yeah but I that remember. doesn't have any asian people on it because, i mean because the book the it's, it's, it's in Britain. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. There's no Asians in Britain, right? Yeah, I know. Um, but no, that's um. I mean, that book was so good. I, I'm kind of interested to see how they adapted it because I think it's still on, still on Netflix. I th- I think you can yeah. find it pretty easily. 
yeah. Yeah, but we should, we should think about that. Maybe that's future another, content. Yeah, future yeah. content. <laughs> um, and on that note, um, is there any other news? I think that's it, right? I think that's it. Well, Rira, let's remind everyone what we're reading for the month of August. We are reading Severance by Ling Ma, and it's a very short book. So there is no excuse to not finish it by, by the end of this month. I say this as someone who only read the first two chapters. <laughs> I'll get to it. I, I, I get to it eventually. Um, but you've been enjoying it, right? Yeah, I've been enjoying it. Uh, I really like the prose. Um, it's It takes place in New York City. And it really reminds me of my time in New York City. <laughs> and if you are a millennial and if you are burnt out, and if you live in a metropolis in America, I think you can really relate to uh, to the main <laughs> character's experience. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, that's um, Severance by Ling Ma. Um, we'll, we'll be discussing that at the at our month um, at the end of the month um, on our discussion on our book club discussion uh, podcast episode. Um, and if you've already finished it or have any thoughts about it, um, please let us know on our Goodreads forum. Uh, we always love to hear your thoughts about the story before we go and record so we can incorporate your input into our discussion as well. So um, go to goodreads.com, search out Books and Boba, and join our groups and introduce yourself. And on that note, I guess I'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Uh, Rira, thanks again for joining us and for compiling all the book news. It's my job. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This episode was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and produced and edited by Marvin Yue. This podcast was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios located within the Visual Communications offices in downtown Los Angeles. You can learn more about Visual Communications and their programs such as the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival by going to the website at bcmedia.org. Thanks also to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts that Books and Boba is a proud member of. You can learn more about our fellow Potluck podcast by checking out the website podcastpotluck.com. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.